Okay, so we are at Acts, Acts chapter 2. And I am loving preaching my way through Acts. We'll, we'll see how we go, but look, forgive me, if we spend 12 months doing Acts, I'm sorry, I'm just loving it, all right? I mean, I'm only at week two, so maybe I'll change my tune, but uh, there's just so much in this book, so much that is inspiring me, and, and I, I think it'll inspire you too as we relaunch and replant in our town. And so this week, chapter two, the promise arrives. Remember last week? Can you just flick through to that next slide there? Uh, thanks. Last week we had uh, waiting for the promise and we saw the disciples were there waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Well, this week that promise arrives and the exciting thing about that promise is that it's for everyone. Let me give you a bit of context for chapter two. It's the day of Pentecost. Now, we think of Pentecost as the day the Spirit came, but they weren't thinking of Pentecost as the day the Spirit came, were they? Um, for them, Pentecost was actually a harvest festival. So, maybe a little bit like Thanksgiving, but you know, it was the day they celebrated um, the, the first of the wheat harvest. And it happened about 50 days after Passover and Jews from all over the surrounding regions would come and they would gather in Jerusalem and they would celebrate the beginning of the harvest season. Harvesters would have just started going out into the fields and there would have been the wheat fields that have ripened and they're full of grain and so the time was just right for them to harvest that grain. And so they would go out and the harvest had begun. And I think it's a really interesting day for God to pour out his spirit. Because what I think of when I realise that Pentecost is actually a harvest festival is I think of Jesus saying to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask therefore, uh, to ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send workers out into the harvest field. And I think so often uh, everyday physical events actually point to a greater spiritual reality. And so here we have uh, Jews from all around the known world uh, gathering for the physical harvest season. But this is also the beginning of the spiritual harvest season. Acts 2, God is sending out his workers by the power of the Spirit into the harvest field, into the mission field, and they are to proclaim the good news. They are to heal the sick. They are to, um, to tell the gospel. They are to point people to the great shepherd. And so we see the disciples in Acts 2, they're gathered and they're all together and they've been having some of those earnest and heartfelt prayer meetings that we mentioned last week. And then suddenly, like suddenly, unexpectedly, there's a sound. Can you imagine it? Like imagine sitting here and all of a sudden you just hear this sound start and it's, and it's like this violent wind comes, this blowing. And it fills the room. And then tongues of fire come 
and separate and start resting upon the disciples there. And they start speaking in languages that they couldn't speak before. This is quite an event, isn't it? This is not just the spiritual fuzzies. It's not just an emotional experience. It's very real. It's very physical. Whatever is going on, it's not from earth, is it? It's from heaven. Now, as I mentioned, because it's Harvest Festival, there's Jews from many other nations present. And as you can imagine, they don't all speak the same language, do they? They speak lots of different languages. Okay? And the believers were obviously not being quiet because others hear them and others hear their own language being spoken. And so a crowd gathers and they are bewildered. Why don't you show me your best bewildered face? Hey? Can you show me your best <laughs> bewildered face? They're doing it right now, naturally. <laughs> hey? they're, they're utterly amazed. They're deeply puzzled. They're astonished. What is, what is going on here? Because, like, these men are from Galilee, but they're speaking our mother tongue. How, how can that be? Now, some people conclude that the Galileans have had a big night on the booze. But Peter gets up and he says, no, no, that's not the case. This is God. God said that this would happen. And he says, let me tell you about it. It all centres around Jesus. Now, think about it. 50 days earlier, Peter was too shy, too scared, too embarrassed to even acknowledge that he knew Jesus. But here he is. He is preaching a message in front of, you know, lots of Jewish people. And he preaches a message so anointed to this crowd of Jews that 3,000 people respond to the altar call. Imagine that. Can you imagine 3,000 people? How many people is 3,000? Like that's more than the population of Kuhlman. Hey? Oh, wouldn't I love to preach a message that anointed? Hey? Kuhlman and surrounding towns all uh, responding to the altar call. Something pretty incredible has just happened to Peter and the other believers. That sort of thing is not normal, is it? And you know what's happened? The promise of the Father has arrived. The power of the Spirit has been given to the followers of Jesus and they have begun that mission that Jesus said they would do to be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And you know what? That same spirit, that same spirit who, who came upon the followers of Jesus then comes upon the followers of Jesus today. The spirit has arrived. The promise is for everyone and the message is for all. So who's everyone? Well, it's everyone, isn't it? <laughs> Who is everyone? Well, how does it get to everyone, though? Well, there's a question. How does it get to everyone? I mean, does it, does it get to everyone here? 
you guys carry it out. Um, what I love about Acts chapter 2 is it's, it's cross-cultural mission on steroids. Have a look there in verse 7. Um, and I'll just read verse 7. But it, it says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And you can see that lists a whole heap of people from different people groups and areas that are there hearing in their own language. The gospel is to break down human social barriers. Like we've got to, we've got to keep remembering that. The gospel is to break down all of the usual human social barriers. There's a supernatural impartation of God's own spirit to reconcile what humanity has separated. And, and this is a little bit like a reversal of the Tower of Babel. You remember how I said that like Genesis is kind of like the prequel to all of this stuff? And, and at the Tower of Babel, do you remember there were uh, languages, were, were, uh, people were scattered and languages were confused? Whereas here, languages are understood and people are drawn together. What sin has separated, God is bringing back together. And, and what, are, what is all of this centred around? It's centred around the worship of Jesus. And, and the people say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. There's something about worship and the presence of the Spirit that just draws people I was prepping this sermon the other day in my house and I started hearing this worship music, just very faintly, very quietly, a bit of Bethel singer hallelujah, I think it was. I'm like, where's that coming from? Like, is my Google Chromecast still casting somewhere in the house? I'm like, no. I'm like, where's it coming from? It's just faint. I'm like, Lord, it's sufficient. <laughs> no. Oh, it might have been. No. Like, where is it coming from? But I was drawn to find out. Because there's only one other family in our street that would be playing worship music and they weren't home. I'm like, oh, this is good. What's going on? And so curiosity got the better of me. I was drawn. I had to, I had to follow. I had to find out. I had to, had to see where this worship was coming from. And when I got to where I thought it was coming from, it stopped. Um, but I think, I think some neighbours had visitors who were obviously Christian and they were washing their car and they had the worship music cranked up loud and it was good. And I got back to my house and it started again, but, but it was just, I, my heart was just focused on this worship music. I just wanted to be there where it was. You know, only the wonders of God, his rule and reign, only his sovereign self, his promise of the spirit is going to bring people together is going to gather people together um, in, a, in a world that is just so separated, so hostile. I mean, you think about the school playground. Does everyone get along at school? Yeah, I hear that there's often a bit of separation, a bit of hostility, that group, this group, those girls, these girls, those boys, these boys. There's separation there's hostility. Think further afield. China, Russia, Ukraine, America. 
Think about persecuted religious minorities. Think about the persecution of Christians in places like Africa and Asia and, and uh, the Middle East. Think about Australia and our politics at the moment. The hostility between different political persuasions. All that stuff with the religious discrimination bill and the, the Christian schools this week. Like it's a minefield hostility and there's hostility on on all sides around gender sexuality around education so many things where the world is full of confusion and separation and hatred and chaos acts 2 gives me hope gives me hope because it reminds me that there's a way past all this there's a solution. The solution is the spirit and the spirit is for everyone and the spirit is going to break down these human barriers. The spirit is going to bring us together in a way that we are unable to do ourselves in our own power. And the only way this will happen is if people call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I signed a petition this week, one of the Australian Christian lobby petitions. They put out some good petitions, don't they? And it felt good to do something. It felt good to put my name there and say, yes, this is, this is a cause I believe in. But, you know, I, I know that signing that petition won't really change much. Uh, petition's not going to change people's hearts, is it? I mean, it might, maybe, sway a few politicians to vote differently. I don't know. But a petition will not bring fractured humanity together in love. Who will? Who is going to bring fractured humanity together in love? Who said it? Someone said it. Jesus, did you catch that? Who's going to bring fractured humanity, broken humanity together in love? Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. Good on you, Baxter. Still waiting for this crowd here. Who's going to bring fractured, broken humanity together in love? Jesus. That's right. The promise is for who? Everyone. The promise is for everyone. And so who is everyone? Well, everyone is all nations, it's all cultures, it's all of society. I think sometimes we act as if everyone is just someone and some people, but it's everyone. And so this means Christianity is not just a Western religion. It's not just a quite personally held belief system. Oh, well, I'm personally, I'm a Christian, but, you know, you can be whatever you choose to be. No, Christianity is for everyone. We are to bring Christ, uh, Jesus to all people and all places. And, and one way we do that as CRC Kuhlman is, is we give money to support a church in Serbia. We have a ministry partnership with a gypsy church in Serbia. And, and through them, we are doing our little bit to bring Christ to all nations. And I just take the moment to say thank you. Like uh, 10% of all of your, your giving goes directly to overseas missions projects. So thank you. So 
everyone is all nations, all cultures, all society, and everyone is also all people. It's men, it's women, it's sons, it's daughters, it's young, and it's old. I won't point for the old bit. Verse 17 and 18, um, it, it says, um, you know, if you're a man, if you're a man, the promise of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit is for you. If you're a man, you are to be filled with the supernatural presence of God. You will live and minister in the power of the Spirit, in the gifts of the Spirit. You will have visions, you'll have dreams, you will prophesy. If you're a woman, the promise of the Spirit is for you. You are to be filled with the supernatural presence of God and you will live and minister in the power of the gifts of the Spirit, visions, dreams, prophecy. If you're a son, if you're a daughter, The promise of the power of the Spirit is for you. You are to be filled with the supernatural presence of God. You will live and minister in the power of the gifts of the Spirit, visions, dreams, prophecy. If you're young, if you're old, the promise of the Spirit is for you. You are to be filled with the supernatural presence of God. You will live and minister in the power of the Spirit, visions, dreams, prophecy. The believer on your right, the believer on the left, children. This is God's promise to you. And this is why in our church we have men preach, we have women preach. This is why children serve. Whoever you are, you have a place in the ministry life of this church. You don't have to be highly educated. Whoever you are, the promise has arrived. And it's for everyone. It's for everyone. So let's get it to everyone. What do you think? Are you on board, church? Let's get it to everyone. How? How? Well, when people receive the Spirit, in Acts 2, what we see, as predicted by Jesus, they become witnesses to Jesus. And Peter gets up, and what does he do? He preaches. You've all been anointed as preachers of the Word of God. How do you feel about that? All right, we've got Alison and a bit of work to do. That's okay. (laughs) Everyone preaches in their own way. It does not have to be up here. Peter gets up and he tells the crowd simply about Jesus. I mean, that's not so hard, is it? Tell people about Jesus. The simple truth is people can't come to saving faith unless the gospel is told to them. It's just how it is. And this, what we see here in Acts 2, is the first evangelistic sermon preached by a spirit-empowered Christian. And and I think this is going to be a good one to take notes from. 
And what I find interesting about this sermon Peter preaches is that the stuff Peter talks about, the the issues he raises, the things he highlights about Jesus, uh, they're the same uh, issues and objections and stuff that gets highlighted today. They're, They're as relevant today as they were when Peter first preached that message. And you'll see what I mean. So what things does he highlight? Well, firstly, he says this about Jesus. He says that Jesus was a real person. Verse 22, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So he says, Jesus, he was the fellow from Nazareth. He was like real. He was a person. And he was chosen by God. And and what we need to really really know today and really defend today is the idea that that Jesus was a real person. Jesus was fully human. He's not a metaphor. Jesus is not an idea. He's not a myth. He is a historically real human being from a real place in a real time in history. Chapter 1 of Acts makes great uh, a point of saying, hey, he appeared to us and showed himself as alive and real through many proofs. He ate with us. It's a sure sign that he's not a, a myth or a metaphor. He was eating with people. And so he's human. And he was still human when he was resurrected. Now, there are lots of debates and lots of academic research has been conducted in recent decades about the quest for the historical Jesus, trying to find the Jesus who was the, the Jesus of history. Because many people, many scholars today, they're going to argue that Jesus wasn't a real person. And here's the thing, our whole Christian faith centres around Jesus, in case you hadn't already got that one. Remove Jesus and there is no Christianity. And we need to make sure our kids know that Jesus was a historically real person because the world is going to tell you that he's just a made-up, make-believe person. And I'm telling you, we need to know he, he lived in a historical uh, time and place. Okay? A quick Google uh, is going to find authors of books such as There Was No Jesus, There Is No God. And they present the case for why there isn't enough evidence at all for a real historical person of Jesus. And so at face value, a quick Google sounds bad for Christianity. Please take the top few Google results with a grain of salt. That does not uh, show the whole picture. Don't be fooled at first read. They're very biased, those articles. And, and they're poor academic Methods is called out by people like John Dixon, who is a historian at Macquarie University and Sydney University. Who's heard of John Dixon? Okay, he's a good one to to do some reading into, especially if you like ancient history. John Dixon. (laughs) Um, He says... You, you know, um, articles as, like this, this book, you know, there is no Jesus, there is no God. He calls them intellectual bigotry. He's quite a good writer, actually. In, in John Dixon's book called uh, Is Jesus History, which, again, is quite a good read, he says, he says a few years ago he was, 
he made this challenge and he put it out in an ABC News article and you can find the news article and read it for yourself. Uh, but he, he put this challenge out. He said, I am so, so sure um, that Jesus' existence is regarded uh, in contemporary secular scholarship um, beyond reasonable doubt. He said, beyond reasonable doubt, contemporary secular scholars think that Jesus is historically a real person. He said that if anyone can find one professor of ancient history, classics or the New Testament in a real university anywhere in the world who argues that Jesus never lived, he would eat a page out of his Bible. As you can imagine, there were um, lots of atheists who then set about trying to find a uh, professor of ancient history, classics or the New Testament who would say, no, Jesus is not a historically real person. And um, they found professors of psychology, English literature, philosophy, folklore and German language, but not one professor, secular professor from a relevant field would say that Jesus was not a historically real person. So John Dixon's Bible is for now safe and... <laughs> But, but I think that's telling, isn't it? Because it's not just Christians that say Jesus was real. Secular academics in the relevant field who study these things also agree that Jesus was a real person. I encourage you, get educated about this stuff, all right? Second thing Peter says is that Jesus is a special or a unique person. Uh, Jesus was a special and unique person. Um, verse 22 talks about miracles, wonders, signs. Jesus wasn't just any man. His uniqueness and special calling was demonstrated in miracles, in wonders, in signs. And these were the things that people saw and experienced and could testify had happened. And those who acknowledged the existence of Jesus as a real person might hit a stumbling block at this point. Sure, they say Jesus was a wise sage or a political revolutionary or an end times prophet but was he really someone with supernatural power over the natural world did he really have authority over sickness and they say no and yet there are testimonies after testimony of people from new testament times throughout history and today that says miracles are real and miracles happen and so jesus is a man but he's also a unique man uh, Jesus is God, but he's also uh, the rescue plan. Uh, Jesus has been exalted. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's not just a person. He is also God. The point is that, that as God, um, he's part of God's rescue plan for this broken world. Many people respect the teachings of Jesus, but can't seem to see him as a God or a saviour. Elon Musk is a good example. Is anyone familiar with Elon Musk? Tesla, space something or other, SpaceX, is it? I got that right. Musk said that he agreed with the principles about Jesus, saying there's great wisdom in the words of Jesus. And I agree with those teachings. Things like turn the other cheek are very important. Forgiveness is important and treating people as you wish to be treated. Love thy neighbour as thyself is important. But for Elon Musk, solutions to the Earth's problems are found in technology. He built a rocket company. 
so that when this earth blows up, we can go to Mars instead. So Elon's faith is in ourselves to save ourselves, not in Jesus, to save the problems humanity faces and he's typical of so many people today. So Jesus, as a person, as a unique person, is God's rescue plan. It's God's rescue plan. It was also God's plan that Jesus would be crucified on the cross. It was his deliberate plan. You know, it was your, your sin, it was your selfishness, your hatred, your unforgiveness. It was your anger. It was your hurt. It was your shame. You know, that's what sent Jesus to the cross. But, but God has always planned that you, his dearly loved, precious children, would come home to him and be free of guilt and shame, be free of the sin that we carry and to be made new and holy, that your life would be a masterpiece expressing his goodness and his greatness and that you would carry the image and presence of Jesus into this world. And I want you to know that before you were even born, before he made you in your mother's womb, it was God's plan and desire that he would call you to himself and make you new. So let's say you're sharing about Jesus with someone and they say, I believe. It's true. What do I do? What do you say to them? Pray the sinner's prayer and come to church? <laughs> Maybe. It's not what Peter said. What did Peter say? He said, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all who the Lord our God will call. Repent. Turn away from the way you've been living. Turn to God. I think for many of us, most of us, perhaps all of us, there was that time in our life when we said, you know what? The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. I... I I turn away from that old life. I turn away from, from all that, that was, of all that I used to be and, and all that the world would, would call me to be. And I turn my back on that and I turn to Jesus and I turn to him, to all that he would call me to be, all that he would make me to be. And we fixed our faith and our focus on Jesus instead of ourself. And sometimes we're tempted, aren't we, to, to look back at, at, at the world, at that stuff that we turned our back on long ago. And, you know, God says, repent. Come home. Come back to me. And he says, be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Peter preached that first message that day, 3,000 people turned their back on their old way of life, 
turned and focused their faith and their trust and themselves on Jesus and they were baptised and they were added to God's people. And I'd love to tell you more about um, Jewish baptism, but I won't. What I just want to say is this. Next Sunday, we're going to have a baptism. We're going to have a baptism. Jan Brown uh, is going to get baptised. Now, Jan has an has a interesting journey there that she's going to share about next Sunday with us. And, and you know, for all of us, we, um, we, we journey with God in, in different and unique ways. And, and Jan has a, a beautiful testimony to share okay, about, about her life and, and how God led her to decide to um, be baptised by immersion uh, next Sunday. I guess what I want to say to you is this, is have you repented and have you been baptised? And and one of the reasons we we don't sprinkle and baptise infants in this church, one of the reasons why we say, hey, repent and be baptised as as um, an older person, uh, as an older child or an adult, is that, that we need to make that decision for Christ, don't we? It's about repenting from our life that was and turning to Jesus. And baptism is such a, a, a beautiful and significant expression of that. And so I'd say, if you've made a decision for Jesus, have you been baptised by immersion, like these early converts, in a pool of water? And if you would like to be baptised next Sunday, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to have a talk with you about that. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of the G- Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is the same today as it was then. The promise is for you. The promise is for everyone. The promise has arrived. Will you receive it? And will you take it out to the ends of of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, um, these are such precious truths that we have here in Acts 2. Would you help our, our minds to understand them? Would you help our hearts to receive them? Holy Spirit, we know that when you come upon Believers, when you come upon people, everything changes. And so just like you you did at that first first, um, outpouring of the Spirit, we know that you do that in in our lives. You, You have done that throughout history. We know that you will continue to do that. And so we just open ourselves, Holy Spirit, to your presence and your power in our life. Because we know that that on our own, um, we just want to live our own way. And on our own, we're too scared to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we know that on our own, we are um, uh, separated from, from you. And we know that on our own, humanity is full of conflict and chaos. And our heart is that that's, that doesn't happen. And our heart is that we are part of... Uh, the solution for this broken world. And so, Holy Spirit, come and pour out 
your life-giving power upon this church that we might carry the, the, the very real love and the very real life and the message of the gospel out into our homes, into the lives of our children, into the lives of our, our, our work colleagues, into the lives of our friends and our relatives. May the, 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 the words of the gospel be so real and so precious to us that we can't help but let them spill out of our life. But we know that we need you, Holy Spirit. We, we can't do that on our own, so come. Come, Spirit. Is that your prayer today? Is that your prayer today that the Holy Spirit fills you with his fresh love for Jesus? fills you with a fresh hunger for the word of God. Have you, have you repented of that old way of life? And, and look, maybe, maybe you need to repent now again of, of the, the temptation to keep turning back, turning back. Why don't you just take a moment why don't you just take a moment to, to refix your, your, your focus on Jesus and to just allow him to refresh you by his spirit. Amen. If you would like prayer, come, I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to talk to me about baptism, come and talk to me about baptism. Love to talk, share with you a bit more about that. I'll send out some more details about next week's baptism and, and, and how that will all work. So keep an eye out for a message from me during the week. Okay? Um, but please, Let's enjoy some time with each other. Cuppa down the back there. There's food outside. Let's enjoy each other's company. Bless you. Yeah.